2: Alright, how's everyone doing? Uh, things have uh, cooled off a tad here in the, the, the summer and I hope you're cool wherever you are. Um, but things are looking good on the racing scene. I'm not seeing the massive cancellations we had two weeks ago. I actually understand the weather's going to be pretty good across the country, particularly in Chicago. It is Arlington Million Day on Saturday. Boy, I remember when that was the biggest race in the world. A million dollars. You've got to be kidding me. Of course, you'll be hearing about a race that's 20 times that later in the show. Uh, but uh, so a lot of times, people accuse me of being Saratoga centric, but let's face it: in the autumn, in the autumn, in the month of August, uh, it is the summer place to be. And uh, but this weekend, we're shifting our gears and we're going to chi Town, where of course the Arlington Million uh, heads up the card. There, million dollars on the line, horses from all over the world that's followed by its sister race the beverly d a grade one six hundred thousand dollars and rounding it out is the secretariat this one exclusive to three-year-olds and all three of those races i just mentioned are on the grass so we don't have to worry about it because uh, from what I have read, it's going to be a nice weekend up there. And helping us with the races at Arlings is a guy that you've probably seen in Louisville quite a bit, and it's uh, James Scully. A lot of times you'll see him uh, partnered up with Joey Decay and other people uh, on air there, airing from uh, Churchill Downs. He's also a big fan of Saratoga, uh, like uh, like me, his family considered the Travers a holy race of obligation. And then our first guest today, a guy I love having on, he is just so sharp and so smooth, and that is uh, uh, award-winning writer Gary West. And uh, Gary, as you know, he's uh, uh, been there, done that, uh, you know, been a longtime news reporter and out there in Texas and um, people just respect Gary so much. And this week, I tried to get him on two weeks ago and he's like, I can't, I'm going to a memorial. He was driving from Texas to New Orleans where he grew up, the son of a jockey. And uh, there was a special memorial for our friend, None other than Bob Fortas. So it's going to start out with James. Uh, we're going to start out with Gary West and then move into James Scully. Of course, we'll try to look at some of the races we handicapped last week with Dan Ilman from the Daily Racing Forum. Well, remember when Million Dollars was the biggest race in the world? How about this? It was announced this week from Saratoga that the inaugural Saudi Cup is going to be run February 29th. And boy, am I going to do my best at some of these names you're going to hear coming up in the next few minutes. At King Race Racetrack in Riyadh. It'll be the world's richest race with a purse of drumroll, please. $20 million. Of that, $10 million is going to go to the winner. I believe they're paying down to 10th. And uh, it's going to be open to 14 horses. It'll be run a mile and an eighth on the dirt and that is a maximum field of 14 and they were pretty smart it's designed to land between the pegasus world cup invitational at gulf at the end of january and previous to the dubai world cup at maidan at the end of march and uh now horses that come out of the pegasus that run one two three will receive an automatic invitation to the saudi cup and uh they just feel that uh Without a doubt, uh, this is uh, Khalid Fasal, the chairman of the Jockey Club of Saudi Arabia, says that, uh, without a doubt, the most significant event in the history of horse racing in Saudi Arabia, and it demonstrates our resolve to develop this great sport in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and also our ambition to become a leading player on horse racing's world stage. And, of course, he looks forward to welcoming international horsemen from everywhere. Uh, Frankie de Torre has ridden there in the past. And uh, he uh, had this comment. I've been going to King Abdulazi's racetrack ever since it opened. It's based on Belmont, that it's a one-turn mile and a quarter. And... Of all the dirt tracks he's ridden on, it's the one he likes best, is you can win from the front, you can win from behind, and it's a fair track. And the other thing I like, said to Tori, is the kickback is so much less than on other tracks. I don't know why, but the sand seems finer and doesn't stick. So uh, put it on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more about it. February 29th, $20 million purse. Okay, speaking of big money and uh, some uh, foreign interest it looks like uh, Taru Yoshida's Shaddai farm has purchased the breeding rights to bricks and mortar who we will see this weekend as the favorite in the Arlington million uh, he's three-time grade one winning son of the late Giants Causeway undefeated this year he's won now over 4.3 million a- in earnings and uh, that is going to put uh, a Big amount of effort on the people of Shaddai Farm to get good marriage to him. Right. It's not going to take anything at all the way he's going. I mean, totally undefeated this year. Uh, He's overcome some uh, situations that may have put a horse uh, into retirement earlier in his career, but came back to prove he's got a lot of heart and he's a great physical, as they say. Now, he is going to continue to race here in the U.S., uh, probably Breeders' Cup World Championship. Uh, he now races for uh, Clarovich Stables and William Lawrence. And then after that he will be going uh, to Japan to start his stud career. Uh, I believe uh, his mare is absolutely marvelous. Uh, she's had five black-type performers. Uh, so uh, Arthur Hancock, his Stone Farm, is the one that sold him in the 2015 Keeneland September Yearling Sale. So Uh, Let me try to get some little more in. If you didn't notice, Colonial Downs is back. Uh, It's only a short meet, 15 days. But, man, they have got an absolutely beautiful turf course there. Well, uh, before I get on to our results from last week, I do want to mention, aside from the races I told you about, uh, Saratoga, of course, is going to have multiple stakes. One of my favorites, though, the Saratoga Special, is presented by Miller Lite. For two-year-olds, a lot of promising horses in here uh, coming off very impressive efforts. But there's a horse in there by the name of Tuggle that's owned by Bill Parcells, who used to be the New York Giants coach. You remember him. Uh, they, They call it August Dawn Farm. Well, the name Tuggle is after Mr. Irrelevant, the last player selected in the NFL Draft in 1983 was a guy that played for him by the name of Tuggle and only three years later died of a rare form of cancer. So this is how Bill Parcells is saluting one of his former players that they didn't think would even make it on an NFL team and ended up playing very well for the New York Giants. All right, let's see how many of last week's races we can get in. The big one, of course, the Whitney Stakes. McKenzie stamping himself as one of the top horses in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Another beautiful ride by Mike Smith. Um, He flashed his good speed, but then let uh, uh, Preservationist go on. And he's like, is he still there? Yeah, he's on. All of a sudden, he just glided into the turn and took the lead by the quarter pole. Mike tapped him once, and he just... Wrote him and oh god, he responded so beautifully and got the job done in the million dollar Whitney. In the second spot was Yoshida, who was very game but just too late, off at eight to one, and third was Vino. Rosso. Also, man, one of the races of the week without a doubt. It was the test for the ages, as Larry Colm just called it. It was just a great stretch duel between Saragentri Empress and Kovev. And uh had the lead. I I was rooting for her, I know her owner, she dug in, dug in, dug in, but uh, so did Kofefi. Uh, uh, that's it, Kofeffi, one of uh, the talented, into mischief offspring, and it was a ding-dong battle to the end, and Kofeffi's head in front at three to one, Gentry Empress, second and third was, plenty of credentials here, Millionaire, Bella Fina. All right, the day before was the National Museum Racing Hall of Fame stakes, grade two, going a mile. And the winner in there, Casa Creed, the slight two-to-one favorite, got up by a head over yay. another good race. And we did uh, take, take a peek at the races at Mountaineer. Hope you caught them. There were some good ones. The Governor's is a grade three, uh, $200,000. And the winner in there was silver dust jack gilligan we've had his dad on the show before got his second graded stakes win of the year according to my count and then uh, the uh the west virginia derby it's a race that's often overlooked well this one was easy just go to the window and collect even money on mr money now this three-year-old colt is really developing into a nice one you know he just didn't seem to have the cut early on in the season. Uh, he was uh, beaten in the Risen Star in Louisiana Derby. Then he comes back on Derby Day and wins the Pat Day Mile. That was a grade three. Comes back in a grade three mat win. Easily wins that one. Now this is Gabe Sayez is in the saddle. Gabe comes back. I was there that night. The Indiana Derby. Very impressive. So a horse that was 50-1 in Louisiana Derby has now been odds on in his last Three races and easily got the job done in the West Virginia Derby. Chess chief, long shot at 35 to one, ended up coming in second. All right, that's a look at national news and the races we handicapped last week. Right now, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to be with Gary West. Take a deep breath and namaste right there. the one, the only Gary West. We have him on as often as I can. Uh, of course, uh, he was the, the, the co-author with Bob Fortas on an outstanding book that uh, outlined every single step it takes to get to the races. And uh, Gary, quick, give me the title. I'm drawing a brain fart. Ride, uh, the title is Ride to Win. And it's, uh, right. uh, I think,
3: one of the best books written on jockeys, and basically every jockey uh, that was uh, prominent in the last 20 years uh, has a role in this book, and, and Bob, uh, and I, mostly Bob, interviewed more than a 100 uh, people for this book, so it's, uh, I, I think, a definitive book about how jockeys ride races.
2: Well, I just want to let everybody know, uh, I'm not getting any payola for mentioning Ride to Win, but I literally have that book about three feet from my bed. And the greatest thing about it, well, there's a lot of great things about it. One of the things I like is that you can pick it up at any point and just read a chapter and be thoroughly uh, educated and entertained. The other thing that I really like about the the book, uh, it was the way you guys... Approached it in like who would have thought that you'd get a whole chapter out of a jockey's thoughts in the warm up?
3: Right, right. That, that's a, a part of the, the writing process that frequently goes overlooked. And uh, we thought it was, it was important to, to focus on that and make it an entire chapter because so much goes on there that is unseen and unknown. And basically, that's what the book was about, trying to make clear uh, what most fans uh, don't understand. And and I think that's why the book is helpful. So much goes on in a race, and these jockeys are so talented and have to make so many um, split-second decisions that I think we frequently don't appreciate their level of skill and their expertise and their athleticism. So we we brought them to the fore, and uh, we, we tried our best to explain what goes on out there at the racetrack, and even what goes on uh, before the horses are loaded into the starting gate.
2: Well, uh, I, I do remember this, this subtitle right away. and It was called the, uh, An Inside Look at the Jockey's Craft, because that's the picture you guys painted. Not somebody getting a leg up and going on a circle. that They actually develop uh, their career around the craft of riding. Now, here's a question I've got for you. Now, uh, if you hear Gary allude to Bob, it's Bob Fortas. As you know, I spent a good portion of the show several weeks ago telling you, you know, who Bob was, what his history was, and uh, uh, what what he meant to, to racing and personally, uh, what he meant to anybody that, uh, shall I say, he let in his world. He was a very private, quiet guy. But with, what I want to know about this is when two authors come together and collaborate on a book, what's, what's the process? Or is, obviously, there's, there's no process. What was your process in Ride to Win? Well, it was actually easy. Um,
3: I realized that for many, there might be conflict and disagreement, but uh, Bob recognized what I do best, and I certainly know what he does best or did best. Uh, Bob was a, a, a tremendous reporter, and so Bob did most of the reporting for the book, and then I did most of the storytelling and most of the writing. And when we finished, I think we both agreed that the result was was something special?
2: It really was. I mean, th- there was no one chapter where I go, "Oh, well, that's Gary West," and another chapter, "Oh, that's Bob." I'm like, "What a beautiful blend!"
3: It, it worked out. It worked out uh, perfectly. Um, you know, Bob would interview the the jockeys and and then send me those interviews. And I, and I, if I had spoken to jockeys about this, I would add that. And then we put it together and told stories around. Um, around their, their commentary. Um, for example, uh, in the in the chapter on riding a horse down the backstretch, we spoke with, uh, of course, the jockeys of easy-goer and Sunday silence because two of the greatest jockeys ever, Pat Valenzuela, <laughs> of course, and, and Pat Day, but also because in the preakness, that was the, the I think, the, the telling moment that run down the backstretch and and we got each one's perspective on what happened there and why it was important and what their objective was going into that race and what their objective was when they turned down the backstretch. Of course, it didn't work out that way necessarily. And it was, I think, wonderful that these great riders were so candid um, about, about these races they rode. Jerry Bailey, for example, many years after the fact, spoke candidly about cigars lost in the Pacific Classic. And, you know, I don't think at the time some of these jockeys um, may- maybe saw it as clearly as they were going to see it later. And that's one contribution the book makes because uh, everything is very clear now in retrospect as, as things usually mm-hmm. are.
2: Well, uh, you know, again, a marvelous read. I know that you guys uh, have made a commitment to donating uh, part of the proceeds of the PDJF, which I thought was fantastic. And certainly, I'm not going to wait to the end of the show in case I forget. Uh, Gary West, where would somebody get their hands on, and I'm recommending this highly, Ride to Win? Well, I
3: I think now the only place to get it would be at uh, Amazon or. the, the occasional bookstore where you where you find one. I'm up here at Saratoga right now, and I wasn't looking for it, but I was in a bookstore the other day, and they have a great selection of a horse racing books uh, right here on on Broadway, uh, and and came across a, a copy of Ride to Win. I was I was shocked, um, but there aren't many copies left out there. We probably need uh, a second edition or a second printing, and. Uh, um, to make it more available, but uh, it's it's out there. But you have to you really have to look for it. But I think Amazon at this pl- at this point might be the best place.
2: Well, uh, with the with the passing of Bob, I mean, I, I tried to. And I did get some calls from people, and I was able to send some photos to some of the publications. I was glad uh, most of the publications uh, recognized him for who he was. I was a little disappointed in some others in that uh, he was a postcard picture in the the front section of Happenings. Uh, Certainly, Bob Ford has meant a lot more to racing and deserves a a lot more uh, to be known for what he did. And uh, that's probably why the memorial kind of you know, was under the radar. But so, Gary West, can you tell us, how did the memorial go at New Orleans?
3: Well, first, uh, you spoke about what Bob contributed, and, and I think as much as anything, what he contributed was a level of professionalism that we rarely see now in, in sports departments around the country. Um, Bob was a meticulous reporter, and he never had a quote in, in a story he wrote, unless he actually talked to the person, you know it you know from being in press boxes after any event the uh, the media staff will go around and hand out quotes that they've retrieved, and uh, afterwards, there'll be a press release full of quotes and and the writers use all of these. Bob would never do that ever. he would always insist on if we're going to quote somebody, we got to talk to him and I remember after the incident at Pimlico Creekness day when When the uh, the 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 guy ran out on the middle of the racetrack, (laughs) and uh, and and Bob looked at me, and I looked at him, and we just took off running for the jock's room, and we were the only two that went to the jock's room to actually talk to the jockeys that were involved in the incident. Now their quotes were all over America, all over the country in the uh, newspapers the next day, but only two of us actually talked to those riders about what happened, Um, and and Bob was that way. He was very professional. He, he wanted to be right. The reporting had to be accurate. It had to be right. It had to be void of prejudice and it had to be objective. Most importantly, it had to be right. And, and if you're going to be correct, you know, when you say a horse worked a half worked a, a, a good half mile, well, you better have seen the good half mile. You can't say a horse worked a good half mile unless you actually saw it. You're just making an assumption based on the time or maybe based on someone's comment. But uh, w- when he said a horse had a very good workout, he saw the workout. He was there at 5.30 in the morning. I know that because I was there at 5.30 in the morning with him many, many mornings. And that was a level of professionalism that, sad to say, is, uh, is, is not as prevalent as it should be. And well, as far as the memorial, it was at Molly's in New Orleans, which is a hangout for newspaper people. And it, the place was packed. And, you know, there was no, public, uh, no publicity about the memorial get-together. It wasn't a service. Bob didn't want a funeral. It was never about Bob. It was always about the horses, always about the story. And that's the way this was. Uh, he, he wanted to, to be about his work and his contributions. And so all these people got together to pay tribute to Bob and his accomplishments. And also, you know, uh, we often measure people, their greatness, by an accumulation of, of resume points you know, did this, won this, did this. Bob's greatness was an accumulation of respect, and an accumulation of goodwill. And of course, he had many accomplishments as well, but the goodwill and respect he had in the industry, I think, defined his greatness and in the end defined Bob
4: Fortas.
2: Well, you know, sometimes, and I, you know, I, I saw you guys a lot at the bigger races, and you were usually not too far apart from one another, um, but sometimes, you know, it's kind of, for writers, it's a competition to see if you can get, get a scoop or something like that, but uh, amongst you two, it, there was a great sense of camaraderie. It was.
3: Uh, I I've never, um, you know, if Bob had a piece of information, he got it, that was his, and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to break the story if it was Bob's story. Uh, we respected each other. He got the information. It's his story. And although I might know it now, only because Bob told me, I'm not going to run to my editors and and, uh, and try to uh, you know beat him on the story. Uh, there was never any of that. And um, we respected each other. We respected the, the, the sport, most of all, and the horses and the people involved, these really wonderful people that, that give their lives and their hours and their time and hard work to, to this industry. We respected those. Uh, people and we respected the sport and we respected, um, journalism. So, uh, there was none of that. And, um, um as I said, uh, I, I don't see that level of professionalism very much anymore.
2: No, sad to say, uh, you know, uh, there isn't, but on the other hand, uh, as professional as he was, Bob just blended into the racetrack, like a Damon Runyon character. Oh
3: gosh, he was, he really, he really was. He, he loved nothing more than to be at the racetrack early in the morning and to watch horses. He was the most unpretentious person you, you've ever known. Um, you know, he he would say, well, my ideas really can't be that important. You can buy them for 50 cents in the newspaper. You know, he would always, <laughs> um, you know, uh, he was very self-effacing, but, but he was one of the funniest guys I've ever known. A stroll through the backside was Bob Fortis. was was an experience. I remember one day... He was talking about a trainer and how he was just befuddled that this trainer was winning races. And he said, Gary, he's just not that smart to win all these races. And he said, I I don't even think he can read. And I said, Well, I I think he can read. I've seen him buy a newspaper. And he said, Gary, he's got a parakeet.
2: (laughs) 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 Yes, that is Bob. Uh, we, we, share, we shared kind of a private joke. You know, I was the publicity guy at the fairgrounds uh, just for one season. And that's where I really got to know him and he greeted me. And at that time, it was the waning of Black Cat. And believe me, it wasn't easy for me to come in and replace a legend. But he, he, he did tell me after a couple of weeks there, he says, you know, John, he says, it's so nice to have somebody here that knows about horses and I'm not patting myself on the back, but just that we could talk about a story in the blood horse or we could talk about a race that was happening in California and things like that. And that just, yeah, I'll never forget those words. And as, as you know, Bob, Bob, he had to welcome you into his world. You did, you didn't crash his, you know. And there wasn't any uh, right. way of impressing him uh, other than to to be with him. And but his sense of humor was great. It was it was a short field in the Louisiana Derby. <laughs> And they hustled this minor stakes horse from Ohio by the name of Joe Weeble into the race. And he would bust my chops forever. So what do you think, John? You're from Ohio? Yeah, you like Weeble's chances in here? Uh, And every year I would (laughs) see him at the Kentucky Derby. It might be 10 years, 15 years later. And you go, hey, how's Joe Weeble doing? I hear he's a stallion up there. (laughs) It was just one of those inside jokes people would look at. It's like, who the hell is Joe Weeble? These guys are talking about. He (laughs) he was
3: uh, so self-effacing at at the gathering last week of of many people who had known him for 20, 30 years. Very few of them even knew he had a Ph.D. Bob was Dr. Fortas. He had a Ph.D. in mathematics, and um, he taught mathematics at Tulane. But he never told anybody that because
2: that just wasn't what Bob did. Oh, I never knew he was a track star till his obet came out.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was a track star. He ran track for Michigan. Although, you know, he, he, he perhaps to many didn't look like an athlete. He was a sensational athlete and ran track. Yeah, he was very much a track star. I remember he and I shared um, a few hotel rooms over the years on the road, and we always wanted to be out of the track as early as possible. And I would get up, we'd get up together, and I would go in and take a shower, and he would go out and run. And by the time I I was dressed and got uh, cleaned up and was ready to go, he had already run four or five miles. I mean, he (laughs) he could run four
2: or five miles,
3: and, and it seemed like a very short time.
2: Well, Gary West, we could share stories about Bob Fortas all night long, but I'm told I have to go to break. Uh, I always love, love hearing you and talking to you. I, I hope you're, you're happy and healthy. And I want to remind everybody one more time, Ride to Win, Inside Look at the Ride Jockey's Craft. Uh, it was uh, a great collaboration between two great turf riders. Gary West, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you, John. Have a good evening.
2: All right, you take care. All right, quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to James Scully, who's going to be our lead handicapper here on Winning Ponies.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com. The home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you.
0: Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness Action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning Broadcast covering both breeds incredible battles contested over the most unique grass cores in north america experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of woodbine and mohawk park players from all over the globe for more information visit woodbine.com Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.
2: All right, and with us now, I've been wanting to get this guy on. On more than one occasion, I wrote his name down in a program when I was watching the races from Churchill. Going, I got to get this guy out winning ponies, and now I finally am. Uh, you've seen him on air, uh, James Scully. Uh, you've also probably seen some of his handicapping uh, uh, tips. Uh, of course, Brisnet, Twin Spires, uh, KentuckyDerby.com. They work him to death, and BetAmerica.com. Uh, he so he he's out there. Uh, he's Quite a few younger than me. I think he's going to be in the business quite a while. He carries himself very well and retains the information uh, that he gets for his handicapping shows. Uh, Family was involved in the horse business. And we also share something in that we're both big fans of the Traverse Stakes, although I think the last one I saw was the first one he (laughs) was the first one he saw. And that's when General Assembly (laughs) set the track record. James Scully, welcome to Winning Ponies.
4: John, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really, a, really a big weekend. You know, the Arlington Million has a uh, as a definite spot on the American uh, racing landscape, and it's it's really the uh, only big event going on this weekend.
2: Seriously, even even Saratoga's a little a little bit light. But okay, let's find out who is James Scully. Where did you grow up? How did you start going to the races, and how did you end up in the position you're in?
4: Well, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. I was uh my dad uh was from Delaware and uh I was actually born in Wilmington, but when he when I was 3 months old, he got a job. Uh he saw an ad in the Blood Horse and uh took a job and just got started uh working at the Blood Horse. We m- moved um, me and my mom here to Lexington and uh eventually went on out on his own, became a bloodstock agent, was involved in the horse business. And as I told you, uh when we were talking yesterday um uh, our family started going up every year to Saratoga you know when i was 11 years old in 1979 and, um, you know, so I grew up going, uh, you know, I got a lot of, uh, my dad was involved in Wajima, who was the champion three-year-old, 1975. So those are really my first memories of uh, being at the racetrack. But I was in the paddock uh, in 79 as well when the Spectacular uh, Bid was in there. So that's really a thrill because we went down in there it was a four-horse field and I saw him in person and, you know, still remember it to this day.
2: Yeah, and I think he's the last modern thoroughbred to have a walkover was spectacular bit. I could be wrong. There might have been something yeah, about Yeah, I think,
4: it. well, I, I I don't know. Maybe did, did Sharp Cat have one? There might have been a thing with Sharp Cat where she had a walkover. But uh, definitely, and, you know, at the time, too, I think there was a little bit of resentment uh because uh uh the, the connections of uh, a bid, I don't think we're aware, but New York had this provision that if it was a walkover, they split the person uh, half and gave the uh, walkover winner like 60% of it. So it actually cost them money because there were like two or three other horses that were being lined up and uh, they pulled out, I think, in a little bit of unison. But, uh, yeah, and then I, I went to school here. I, I went to Transylvania University in Lexington. When I got out of school, John, I got a job, uh, uh, went, got into uh, business in Louisville, worked there for a couple years, and then um, we sort of got disbanded the business. And I came to Lex- back to Lexington and got a job working for Bloodstock Research. And then uh, Churchill Downs eventually bought us out and been working for Churchill ever since 2008.
2: All right we've all had it that have been out there as public handicappers. How was your first day in front of a camera?
4: Oh, nerve wracking, really nerve wracking. And I'll tell you not only, uh, the first day with the first day in front of the camera, but I've done this Derby work show, uh, the last two years. And this year we went to more like, uh, on scene interviews. So, uh, Ed DeRosa and myself, uh, split duties being on the backside at the gap. And then we would interview a, a couple people. So I talked to, uh, I, think I talked to Chad Brown and Shug Gahey and, and then numerous, uh, jockeys and trainers and even, uh, owner. And, uh, my first day doing it, John. I was all over the place with the microphone. I mean they were calling me Mr. Microphone after even the second day I was a little better but I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't allow the person to quit talking before I moved the mic back to my mouth and I would do the same thing when I was talking. So they were like oh dear, go back tonight practice in the room holding an imaginary mic and doing it so yeah (laughs) there's a nerve-wracking for sure uh and you know and i still get a little nervous about it uh because uh at churchill downs we've gone to uh doing a three-person uh crew and with one person doing interviews and it's great i I, I love talking to people and asking questions on the fly a little bit in that scenario so uh definitely grown more comfortable here in recent
1: years
2: all right, we're talking with James Scully, and uh, I agree. As somebody that's uh, been in similar situations, uh, eventually evolving into the regular guy show, when you're first starting out in a new situation like that, where you know you're going to be on air, you can say what you want, but you internalize it. You're you're thinking about it, or you get, or all of a sudden you find yourself stumbling on a word, which I do quite often, and uh, you lock up, and it's like, oh crap, you know. And then you got to mm-hmm. realize. The whole world's not watching. Relax it. You know, it's a, it's a racing show. You're going to be okay. But, uh, now uh, I don't know about you, but as my years as a public handicapper, uh, I would be out, you know, in the, in the public and, you know, you'd normally give your picks out and stuff like that. And it's, it's. You really put yourself out there. You got a little protection there at Churchill, but where I was, I was right with the people. And they'd come up and throw their tickets at you, or they'd give you grief for giving them the five to two shot. And I'd turn around and look at them and say, hey, if I throw $7.20 in the floor, are you going to bend over and pick it up? And that usually up <laughs> you know. And then the other people oh, yeah. would come by. It's like, oh man, that announcer up there—he blew that freaking call. I said, hey, really? Do you think you're better because I can arrange to have you call one? What 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 race you want to call? You want to come up? Zoom! You'd see smoke under their sneakers as they ran away, you know. And so it's easy <laughs> to take shots, you know, at people uh, that are out there, you know, in the public, given their input. Uh, but it's 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 not easy because you're, you're putting your ass on the line, and a lot of times you're going to hear stuff from people
4: oh yeah absolutely and you know i mean and that's you know somebody like me i'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to you know like like you know seek out uh, try to be the favorite a lot of times value but you know one part of being just a, a public in the public handicapper I mean you have to do every single race and sometimes you just have to take what the race is, is giving you right. and uh you know just and so that's like one of the things you know I I miss like three or four races you know it's really just like you you've got to compartmentalize it and not let it get you too down I mean the whole key to me really for just being a successful handicapper uh and horse player is And, you know, it's a common phrase in in all sports, I think, is you can't get too up and you can't get too down. And if you have that mental approach to it, you'll you'll learn to uh, deal with the highs and lows better, especially the lows.
2: All right, we're talking with James uh, Scully, handicapper you see most of the time at Churchill Downs. Now, have you developed an approach? Like we're doing the races at Arlington. They're all going to be on the grass. Horses coming in from everywhere. Uh, How do you approach a card?
4: Well, definitely. I mean, the first thing I do is just take a look at uh, the past performances and just break down a little bit like uh, form lines and such. And then I go and try to do uh, some video work and watch some races that are of interest to me. Uh, you know, like in a big race, I'll, I'll, I'll do uh, quite a bit, really take a look at uh, some previous starts, even if I watched them again, see if there's anything I missed and, you know, just uh, try to get a feel a little bit for the individuals and then Try to take you know one more uh, comprehensive look at it, and you know just uh, you know I mean it's it's a, to me I I just I view handicapping as a puzzle and you're trying to put the pieces together and and uh, you know and part of that is 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 obviously pace analysis I, I find it to be important and uh, you know and, and I don't knock any handicapping approach you know whether you use uh, uh uh PPs or uh uh different kind of handicapping products, whether they're sheets or numbers or software or what have you. Um, you know, to me, you know, it's it's a matter of finding a comfort zone as a better and uh and uh you know feeling confident in it because uh it's like anything else. You know, you gotta be confident when you're up when I'm handicapping a race uh you know it can be beneficial.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. You took the words right out of my mouth, comfort zone. Uh, you know, I'm not going to elaborate on what I use, but it, there it is, and I've developed it since I was a kid in Saratoga, and it's just so much easier for your eye to go directly to something that you rely on to, you know, that you think is a key element of whatever race you're handicapping, but so many different products have come along over the years uh w- whether it be brisnet or whether it be winning ponies uh that some of these younger handicappers sometimes those are the first ones they've ever been exposed exposed to so over time that's the one that's their go-to uh place of information
4: yeah oh absolutely and and yeah i mean you're i mean if if that, if, if, if you're comfortable with that or if, if it works for you, I'd say more power to you. Uh, you know, my, uh, my mom loves to go to the races. Uh, and she knows how to, what everything in the past performances is. But she's a regular like $2 better and she likes to bet names and, uh, <laughs> and namesakes. I mean, pets, you know, relatives, friends, anything like that. And, uh, And plus, she'll just better numbers, 267. You know, it's like a combination of all our birthdays, me and my two sisters and... You know, she's said three thousand dollars trifectas before betting two six seven. So, uh, yeah. you know, if if you can, if you if, if if you get an enjoyment for it, I'm I'm all for it because you know I, I don't fault like anybody that's uh you know I mean like you know part of our you know obviously I work for Brisnet we're selling information and handicapping picks and other handicapping programs and stuff like that. Uh, if, if, if you want to do your own work, you know, more power to you, if you like to look and see what other people think, it's the same thing. I don't, I don't have any problem with like people that are like selling their picks or in the business, you know, I'm, I'm all for it because to me, uh, you know, if, if, if it helps people or benefits people, more power to them
2: absolutely well i'll share my mother she was irish and so if there's anything that had an irish name uh, you know celtic or shamrock or the word irish in there that horse got bet and another angle and i know you heard this a lot is that the last horse to poop before they went in the gate uh she just felt they were more <laughs> relaxed would be focused on their race and not uh, whether or not they got to the bathroom in time well we <clears throat> we're down to about nine minutes so she that'll give us okay. uh, about uh, three minutes of race uh, james scully so So we don't forget the Arlington Million. Let's do that one right out of the gate and say what you want. This race goes through bricks and mortar, who has just really uh, developed into an amazing freak uh, after a Dr. Bramlage uh, foot surgery uh, that left him on the sidelines from October 17 to December of 2018. They didn't know if he'd survive it, let alone come back, and he's come back and hasn't lost a race since four of those five wins graded
4: Absolutely, and you're right. I mean, he came back uh, from uh, a 14-month layoff last December and has, uh, you know, just really been uh, uh, special. Uh, he's the leader right now for Horse of the Year honors. If he wins this race, it will really be a feather in his cap. I'm not even sure if he's going to the Breeders' Cup, uh, and, you know, I've heard rumblings that they might not because and no concern about Santa Anita. He just doesn't have a proper distance. He's, like, really sort of in between a mile and a mile and a half. Uh, definitely loves a mile and eighth distance. He won the Manhattan last time going 10 for the same distance as, as this race. And he won, uh, uh, at a mile and three sixteenths. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's it, going to be tough. I mean, to me, one thing about bricks and mortar is, is that, um, you know, I, I know, like, you know, those two races before uh, the last start in the Manhattan, it really had to work hard in that uh, race at Fairgrounds to get up. And then even in that turf classic, I felt like the runner-up, Kerban, came back to him a little bit there, and the stretch was really, like, short. I mean, it was a strong race by bricks and mortar. But last time in the Manhattan was really an impressive showing. And uh, if he runs back to the race, you know, uh, everybody could be running for second.
2: Absolutely. The one thing about this race is practically every horse in the race except Bandua has the same running style.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I will say this a little bit about that, uh, and, th- and this is sort of the way I'm looking at the race. I mean, to me, you know, heck, if I'm if I'm going to do like A, B, and C, uh, this isn't necessarily my my strongest like win, you know, pick of the sequence. Uh, I definitely re- respect Robert Bruce, and I'll tell you, uh, that first race of the year in the uh, Fort Marcy, that was a bog. Uh, he came back last time in Manhattan, and I think he might have still been a little bit short from a fitness perspective. Plus, he's lost now his last four starts at Belmont, so I'm not sure that's his favorite course. He ran his biggest race last year at Arlington in, in this million, and he could just be sitting on uh, a, a peak effort. But the, the horse that uh, it also intrigued me as perhaps like from an a Perspective, uh, and, and definitely as a value play, and it's because of what you were talking about. Is Hunting Horn? Uh, he's a horse. Uh, he's a four-year-old colt, uh, Aidan O'Brien. But Hunting Horn is a horse that, earlier in his career, even last year, uh, was more of a, a late runner, a, a closer. But he has actually developed, uh, and, and we've got a, cl- a glimpse of it on May 11th in the Man of War at Belmont, where he set that pace that day and wound up uh, being caught uh, in deep stretch, but finishing only a length short of Channel Maker and Arclo and Magic Wand. Uh, his stablemate was third, and then he's come back in these last couple races and essentially been uh, pacemakers for uh, his Stable Mate Magical against the likes of uh, Crystal Ocean and Nable, and then Nable and Crystal Ocean and that King George. And that was a a that was a, a, a really a good effort last time is my point, John. The holding on to be fifth, he beat a lot of good horses that day. He was in the thick of that race in upper stretch. I think that, that this horse is actually really moving forward at the right time for Aiden O'Brien. And the thing about it is, without very little speed in the race, if Ryan more was to get aggressive upon him and perhaps that's a big f but if he was he could be tough to run he could run a big race on the front end
2: all right james well we're uh, <laughs> we're into the final 16th here and we got two races to go so let's see what we can do uh the all beverly right. d uh, as much as bricks and mortar was the standout in there i gotta say sister charlie is the one to beat in the beverly d grade one six hundred thousand, a mile and three sixteenths on the turf
4: yeah, I saw a lot single for me, John. Uh, you know, the uh, connections, I caught up with the connections of, uh, of uh, Coolmore, and they hand it, they'll make a final decision Saturday. but Magic Wand, they're leaning towards a billion. So it looks like she could come out of there. And her stablemate, uh, Fleeting, who has that uh, two runner-up finishes in her last starts, uh, Group 1 last time, really is just too much of a plotter, I think, late runner, to get up in this scenario and challenge Sister Charlie. So I really like Sister Charlie as a definite single.
2: Yeah, she, she's been absolutely awesome. Uh, has a great, uh, just kind of a, off the pace, closer to stalking by the time she hits the turn and knows where the finish line and Johnny V won't be at Saratoga on Saturday. He's going to be up in Chicago. All right, probably the toughest of this trio to handicap maybe one of the toughest on the day is the secretariat half a million three-year-olds they're going to be going a mile on the grass and by the way i stated at the top of the program that uh, looks like the weather reports uh really good in the uh in the chicago area so all these races should go on the green and it should be kind of uh firm as they like to say um oh yeah in, the, in here, I don't know, they, they could change the name of the Scat Daddy race because it's like if you're not by Scat Daddy, you're by a son of Scat Daddy in here. It's pretty amazing. Of course, he's been an amazing horse uh, ever since. So, again, these are three-year-olds. So somebody can pop up. I'm having a, a big time separating them, to be honest with you.
4: Yeah, and I'll tell you, John, this race, uh, cut it back to a mile, I think it was a good idea to cut it back a distance just to attract horses, but I do think that turf triple in New York has perhaps hurt the quality a little bit, where they still yes. have a solid cast, but it's not necessarily like a grade one race, it'd be more of like a stepping stone perhaps for these horses to grade, you know, to tougher races, and and this is my long shot pick of the day, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get 15 to 1 or not, but Rise the Guy is a horse that, uh, you know, I, I thought it was his form was really solid this year. Uh, he came back at number five horse uh, for uh, Ian Wilkes. Came back uh, uh, after a, you know uh, after a couple of decent efforts at Goldstream. Finally broke his maiden by six lengths in an off-the-turf race. And I was actually you know there a couple times when he ran, including that last day on Closy Day. I was waiting for him to go to turf because I took a look at his pedigree. He's a half-brother to three turf winners. Not only that, but... Two of those, one of them was Dame Ellen that Chad Brown trained. Broker Maiden won an allowance, won the perfect stink stakes at uh, Belmont. Same situation for another one, Gentleman's Deal, won a, a handicap list at stake great at stake so his siblings have gotten good have carried their form forward i loved his turn of foot last time he was a little bottled up inside exploded for home that was a pretty uh, deep allowance on the closing day i thought and i think he's going to get run a big race i also you know i'll just say uh o'brien has two in here he has van beethoven and, uh, number three, Never Know More. I like that Never Know More better. He's entered in every big race the rest of the year. Uh, my, my European, uh, uh, person, Kelly Riley, that I go to, is, is a little suspicious that Van B- Beethoven might stay in the U.S. and they may try dirt with him because they haven't nominated him to any races except for, uh, one, like group two. And, um and my, uh, but obviously Chad Brown has two in here. Fog of War, I've been a little disappointed in. I think he might be too short of a price for his actual win chances. I like his stable mate. That would point a little bit better, John. Really two nice races. That was a little bit of a similar profile to Rise, that guy where he's going and trying stakes company and uh, could be a really nice horse.
2: Yeah, we're talking with James Scully, and it's uh, something I hadn't mentioned, that this race was, I believe, always contested at a mile and a quarter, uh, but because of the new New York Triple Crown was scaled back, uh, hoping they'd get horses that were a little bit better at a mile. Well, James Scully, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, you're in trouble now because I got all your contacts, and I will be in <laughs> touch with you, uh, particularly when you uh, when the action starts back at Churchill Downs. Is that all right?
4: Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. I really enjoyed it, John. It's great talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future.
2: Ah, Okay, that's definitely going to happen. We've been talking with uh, James Scully, who you see a lot of times on the broadcast from Churchill Downs. Always a pleasure to talk to Gary West and uh, really enjoyed his uh, uh, recollections of uh, one of the greatest turf riders and people of all time, Bob Fortis. Uh Don't forget, uh, with, with the race and making a lot of switches, you're going to need some help. Go to winningponies.com and pull down the Easy Win Forms. Had some huge hits at Gulfstream Park this week, but you can go ahead and spread it around. But uh, a lot of good uh, super boxes uh, is what uh, last week brought to you from the Easy Win Forms at winning ponies well that pretty much closes out the show i want to thank my old producer who's back pinch hitting for josh my gosh and that's the one the only a rod took over the wheel today and kept me in line i think i'm going to get out in time again for gary west and james scully i'm john englehart when you go to the races remember bet with your head not over it